0: Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today we have a
1: special episode. We get to interview Adebisi Adebowale and discuss with her the college admissions scandal and what it reveals about white privilege, affirmative action, and our definition of success. I am so excited for this episode. In this episode, we get to talk about the college admissions scandal through a totally different lens than what we're typically hearing in the media right now, and in particular, I'm psyched to bring an expert in who has, I was just struck by her spunk and her energy and her smarts when I got to meet her when we were doing TEDx talks together. Adebisi, welcome to this conversation. If you could please give a quick intro to our listeners about, you know, the stuff you stand for, the work you're doing, and a little bit about yourself, that would be awesome.
2: Thank you so very much, uh, Ms. Asha and, and Sarah, for having me on today's episode. I'm so pleased and so honored to be here. But to your, answer your question, I am Adebisi a Ade Boale. I'm a higher education coach, consultant, and speaker for college-bound students of color, preparing them for the college application process with the hope of graduating school debt-free. And I focus on this because I myself had the opportunity to attend and graduate the George Washington University twice, full-time debt-free with scholarships from the university as well as the Gates Millennium Foundation and other pockets of money that I was able to earn while I was in school during my time. So I want more students of color, more students to be able to have the opportunity to be educated, to have the opportunity to go to a great school and have awesome experiences that will lead them into a path and a career for their future.
1: That's awesome. I'm so excited for the work that you're doing. And this is, I think, why I really wanted to reach out to you when all this news has been blowing up about the college admissions scandal, right? A lot of the articles that I'm reading position it as an issue of self-entitlement, the rich, the that sort of stuff. But I think both Misasha and I have talked about it, there being another layer to this. How do you see this issue right now?
2: When it happened, I was just like, <gasps> like, what in the entire world? And the reality of it is that I wasn't surprised by it. But when things like this happens, it just aggravates you to think that people, one, think that this is okay, and think that it's permissible for parents to be teaching their children this, and think that, one, you're not gonna get busted in the information age. You know, everything is, even if it's not out there yet, it's going to come out. Nothing stays hidden in this day and age. It's an unfortunate reality, but at the same time, it's a reality and a sign of the times. In this information digital age, if you're doing something illegal, even if you're not found out one, two, three, five, ten 10 years out, chances are it's going to come to surface one way or another. But when it happened and I first heard of it, I was very disgusted, very disappointed that people think that this is okay to teach their children how to cheat their way through life, to cheat their way through their education and to forge a path that is seemingly very degrading. To self, but also to others, because you're saying that, hey, you can do the work all you want to, but I have connections that will get me on top of you, above you, in a way that you'll never know about, in a way that you're not deserving of, in a way that you can't find your way because you don't have money, you don't have the resources that I have, you don't have the connections that I have. I think it was a show of, yes, definitely entitlement, without a question. And that's something I've been saying from day one. This is a slap in the face of white privilege and entitlement. And do not get me wrong. I love people of all races. I have friends of all races, but there's a mindset and approach that comes along with, I deserve to be here more than you do. I deserve to, you don't belong here. And what people forget to realize is that the United States of America is a nation that is built on immigrants. Everybody has come from somewhere or another. We may be one generation, two, three, 10 generations in, but this land is specific, specifically created by immigrants. And whether or not I came yesterday or someone came 10 years ago, was born here, does not negate the fact that everybody should have equal opportunity to be educated, to be interviewed for a job, to be to have access to certain things.
1: There's so many ways we could go with this, because then I, you know, when you said equal opportunity, I immediately jumped to affirmative action and I want to talk about that. We talked about kids getting the message that the parents are teaching their kids, but a lot of the kids claim that they didn't know, and which <laughs> may or may not be true. I don't know how that logistically works if they didn't know, but I also think to your point, even if they now didn't know during the process and they now know, what message, I mean, how crappy of a message is that for the parents to be like, I didn't believe in you, so I cheated on your behalf? Like, that's a really bad psychological message to receive at any stage of your upbringing. What does that talk, like, teach you then about the state of education today? That some of the people on the education, like, on the college athletic side and coaches were willing to take these bribes?
2: So I just want you to know that I'm virtually rolling my eyes right now. (laughs) (laughs) When I heard that the the children didn't know that their parents were doing that. It just blows I try to give the benefit of the doubt because the reality of it is that, yes, they were possibly students who did not know initially that their parents were doing such schemes and such betrayal on the back end. But at one point or another, these kids had to have found out, for instance. I mean, because my mind just, I just try to think about all the different people and the variables that were in that. If a parent is talking to a coach who's recruiting, quote unquote, their child for a sport and the child is in a division one school division one schools are no joke with their athletics they are built on their athletic programs right they have summer practices they have meetings they have meetups they have connections and i'm just thinking if a child was recruited for a sport they would have to report to these meetings they would have to report to these roundups during the summer during the academic year and i just find it really hard that they were able to negate or excuse themselves from these meetings without knowing that they didn't play these sports, that they weren't recruited for these colleges or universities athletically, but never had to show up. And in some cases, some of the students were saying that they never played or they don't play a sport whenever they were asked, oh, are you coming to practice? Or they're going to quit the team after their freshman year, after they set out and benched the first year. I'm just trying to piece together how that worked. If you didn't play the sport, why would a coach come up to you, right? And how would they know to contact you once you find something there's just so many variables but as far as those who were involved in the scheme from the collegiate standpoint it just goes to show you how the human mind works right the human mind can be such a gift and people can just be such a blessing but at the same time people can be very conniving and it goes to show you that as much as i hate to say it you don't really know who you can trust you know these are institutions that were built before most of us were born hundreds of years that were built to educate people. But when you bring in people into institutions, people may not always be truthful, right? And you don't know who will be genuine with you. You don't know who will be truthful. But at the same time, you have a decision to make whether or not you're going to do right by the system or if you're going to do wrong. Take, for instance, Phil Mickelson. He's a parent, and his daughter was applying to USC, I believe, whatever school was, but she was applying to college. And he said that he contacted this man's company and he had an opportunity to work with him. But then he realized, Hey, mm, this won't be right. And he backed away from it. He made a decision, right. To do right by himself, to do right by his daughter, to do right by the system and bravo to him that he was able to come out and say, Hey, you guys, you know what? I actually, I knew about this, but I decided not to do it because I'm a parent and I'm a man of my word. And I want to make sure that I cover all bases and protect myself. So I have much respect for him because we're all faced with temptation. We're all faced with trials and tribulations, with opportunities to do wrong or do evil, if you will. But it's up to us to make those decisions because life is not going to escape. The opportunities in life are not going to escape us all. We're going to have the option to do right or wrong. And the fact that people on the inside are doing these things and then showing the students, showing the university that, hey, I'm going to find a way to make USC... Harvard, Princeton, whomever, stay on top, it's just disgusting.
1: It is disgusting. What are your thoughts on how important consequences would be then to discourage it? Because, right, Phil Mickelson had his internal compass and made that decision himself. Obviously, something was missing for the people who went ahead with it. There's, you know, some people in the media are saying, oh, I personally think it'd be crazy to send Felicity Huffman to prison because there's been so much damage cast on all of their reputations. I mean, is a slap on the wrist sufficient because these are public figures being exposed publicly or, you know, what's your take on that? Because that's something that's still yet to come. We're still at the beginning at this point in our conversation of, you know, unraveling all of this stuff. We're not even at punishments yet. But what do you think that role plays? What that plays
2: Yeah, I read that also this week that, you know, she shouldn't go to jail, that she's remorseful, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Admission of guilt and repentance, if you will, is honorable thing. So even when she admitted that she was wrong for doing what she did, my respect for her was still there. But forgiveness and acknowledgement of one's wrongs does not negate the fact that what you did is still wrong. It doesn't mean that you should not be punished. Because everything that you sow in life reaps something, right? Be it good or bad. And do I think that she should still be punished of, along with all the other parents? Absolutely. Do I think that she should get the harshest sentence? Possibly not, because she realized it and she recognized she's. There's no need for her to contest, right? She said that I'm guilty. So now she's not going to waste state funds on a stupid case saying that, oh, I didn't do what I what they say that I did. She admitted it. And Luckily for the judicial system, we don't have to waste time on having hearings that are gonna go back and forth just to see if she would admit guilt. She already did that. There's no need for a hearing now, we just need sentencing. But to say that she doesn't need jail time, I think would be a slap in the face for all the students who did, another slap in the face for all the students who did put in the work, for all the parents who ran around putting their children through sports and athletics, who went four, five, 10 years of training their child academically to make sure that they're prepped for the schools but didn't get admitted into it because we have people who were cheating their way into it. There needs to be a punishment because you're not talking about something that happened over four months or eight months. This is a mindset. You had your children enrolled in schools that they did not deserve to be in, or at least they didn't, At the very least, they didn't go the proper route to be admitted. There needs to be a punishment because people are watching. And if we're saying that this is permissible for a celebrity to do it, how much more do we not know about you know this is only one man's company this is only one avenue of scheming we need people to know that wrong is wrong and right is right and we want more people to go the right way
0: i think that's great too because i think that you make a really great point about how her acceptance or her remorsefulness is a mitigating factor right in how she should be punished but the importance of her still being punished along with the other people who were involved in this scheme is also really important because to not be punished is another form of privilege then. And I think that just goes back to this is, you know, how is, what was the basis for this? And what was the belief behind this as you've been articulating? So I think that's a great and very important point.
2: No, and I I completely agree with that. And I will will add that if we don't punish them, we're saying that The lifestyle of the rich and the famous should continue as is that we can continue to have them scheme the system because they put the work in their acting that we support (laughs) right (laughs) that we watch that we allow them to be these people we are the ones creating the monsters and we should deal with what we created that's not how it should be
1: so I mean it seems pretty clear that you think and I think so too like other children missed out on spots that they could have earned rightfully at some of these institutions because other people were cheating their way into it. You are a big believer that everybody deserves an education, and that education can take many different forms. But you've also said that it's important for minorities to attend predominantly white institutions. I mean, these institutions that were involved in this scandal were predominantly white institutions that the predominantly white, rich and famous people were, you know, basically scamming their way into. What about, you know, why do you think it's important for minorities to attend predominantly white institutions.
2: That's the reality of the world that we live in, especially in the States. We're not in secluded areas. And yes, we have Chinatown areas in certain cities. We have Black neighborhoods in certain cities. We have predominantly white areas in certain cities. But the reality of going to work, of living a life in this day and age includes interacting with people from all over the world, from diverse pools. And I think it's important for people to be represented in every scope of their career, their jobs, their education, because you're going to deal with people with different personalities, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different cultural backgrounds, and that includes going to college. And I think it's important for students of various colors, of various races, of various cultural backgrounds to be represented, excuse me, in their education, because one, we're looking towards a more globalized world with the advent of the internet. We're interacting with people literally globally and if we can't even deal with each other in physical space, how can we deal with each other in trading? How can we deal with each other with, in the work environment? You know, so we have to think beyond here and now. We have to think for the future. We have to think about what goes on behind the scenes. If we're allowing people to continue to have these secluded and separated worlds, then what is the purpose of globalization? You know, and I believe that when you are able to learn from people from different backgrounds, it opens your mind to certain, to different things that you can't necessarily get into the home, that you can't necessarily get in the classroom by itself, but just the interaction with people. I mean, I think that so even when I was in school, I had the opportunity to be a White House intern. I had the opportunity to go and study abroad three times on three different occasions. And not to say that I wouldn't have gotten it from an HBCU, which is a historically black college or university. I do believe I could have, but I do believe that from the school that I went to, that it shaped the opportunities and the experiences that I had. GW is in Washington, D.C. It's literally two blocks from the White House. I walked to the White House for my internship when I was a sophomore. I had the opportunity to live in the city in which birthed me and taken a different experience that I would have probably not had if I'd gone to a different school. So I want more students to be able to have that experience. I want more students to have the opportunity, the option, if you will, to be able to say that this is the experience that I want to have. This is what I'm looking to have. Even if they decide to go to another school or to go to HBCU or to even have to go to college abroad, which is an option for many students, whatever it may be, they need to at least have the option and feel comfortable in that option to choose.
1: That's great perspective. And I mean, Sasha, I mean, I know we were going to talk about affirmative action, but you have a lot of thoughts on that. Do you want to take some of these questions
0: here? Yeah, I mean, I think my reaction when I first heard about the college admission scandal was that this might be the best and strongest case for affirmative action Mm -hmm. these days. Because, and I was wondering what you thought about that. Like, how do you see affirmative action in these days? Sarah and I have had some discussions about how people and increasingly younger white women feel that it's not really necessary, which is something that we strongly disagree with. But we would love to hear what are your thoughts on the state of affirmative action today?
2: I love that you said that younger white woman because what people fail to realize about affirmative action, and when people think about affirmative action, they they tend to make it synonymous with letting black people in to society. And affirmative action is not a black people thing. It is a minority people thing. helps protect underrepresented groups of people, that is women, including white women, that is people of different races, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, and the list goes on, from only enabling white men. So anybody else outside of white men should be included in that group. And what people need to realize, specifically white women, is that it helps them to, for a long time in this nation, women could not vote, they could not work. Affirmative action, takes heat and hey saying hey we want you to be represented we want you to be noticed we want you to have the life and the career that you choose to have because you're smart enough you're enabled you're empowered enough to do those things you deserve to be able to do those things because we live in a nation of freedom and if you don't seek to have those freedoms exercised, you won't be included and affirmative action helps people of all different races It is not a specific Tool for any race, for anybody, but for anybody who's underrepresented, which is everybody outside of the white male population.
1: Can you guys explain to me how it actually works? Like, I think the common perception was that it meant that, say, you had a hundred applicants, it meant that, you know, this many had to be black people, this many had to be women. This man, like, what is the state of how it actually functions at the university level, say today? Do you guys know? Because I don't know.
2: So to my knowledge, it is up to the university or college or the place of employment to have. And I don't know if they have segmented percentages allocated for different groups of people to say that, okay, 40 percent we're going to have for minority and elderly people or 20 percent we're going to allocate for elderly people and then another 20 percent for people under 30. I can't say that they have that. It should be looking at the qualifications blindly Typically, but I mean, every institution is different and they have their own specifics, but they are guided by the law to not discriminate against anybody if they see a qualified candidate.
0: Yeah. And I think the importance to stress is that these people are qualified students or otherwise they are qualified and it's supposed to be the concept of everything else being equal or, you know, to give people the opportunity to have something that they may not otherwise have based on being part of the minority. So it looks at Factors that often white men don't have to deal with, which involves socioeconomic factors and access to education or access to you know those jobs, and tries to balance that so that everyone who is qualified has that opportunity. Yeah, and so I think to the point about affirmative action, and you know, critics of affirmative action often say that, well, you know, we should be in a meritocracy, I think, and we, you know, and basically, you're sort of slotting people in who aren't qualified. And that's the assumption. And so I do, you, when you talk to people who are, you know, critical of affirmative action, what do you say to them out of BC? Or how do you see the path forward for affirmative action? I and mean, those might be two distinct questions. So, but I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, so I say when people are critics of affirmative action, I say what I just said before, that it helps anybody and everybody who is in a lesser category of underrepresentation. You know, you cannot say that white women, for instance, have been represented from day one. They haven't been. Women have not been, even to a certain extent where we still have now in this day and age, we have Latino, we have Indian, we have black men who are all progressing further than some women because we're not represented as much We're, as women are children bearers. It's difficult sometimes when people see a woman who's pregnant coming into a workplace and being interviewed, that's discrimination of any kind, you know, and that's not racial, that's sexist, (laughs) you know, and that's a discriminatory category. So we need to make sure that people understand that it is not a racial thing. It's literally anybody who can be discriminated against because of physical racial socioeconomic, it's a plethora of different factors that go into affirmative action. And nowadays, we hear it more so in the form of diversity and inclusion. It's the same thing. And diversity and inclusion, even though it's becoming more synonymous, it's usually focused on affirmative action has been more on the educational standpoint. And when you get into the workplace, you hear of equal employment opportunity and diversity and inclusion, which all are more or less the same thing. You're trying to include people of different races, of different backgrounds, of different upbringings, educational backgrounds included, and include them. So that's what we're looking at nowadays. And we wanna make sure that with that, if you're going to seek those things, if you're gonna seek opportunities, that you're coming qualified. And qualifications, so let's talk about qualifications for a second, because I think this is really interesting. For the past couple of years, as I've been growing in my career, in my business, one thing that I've noticed and that I've heard often more times than not, whenever a white male is presented with a position or an opportunity, that they may not be qualified. If they check off, I think it's two out of five, maybe one out of four, they say, oh, I'm qualified, I got this, and they apply for it and they go for it. Whereas where you see women, specifically women of color, who are not qualified, less than 75%, they're like, ah, it's difficult for me. I can't apply for it. I can't, I'm can't. i not going to be chosen. I'm not going to be selected. But your white male counterparts are saying that, hey, I got 25%. I'm good to go. I'm going to go for it. But women are saying that they can't do it when they have 75% because of the mindset that has been ingrained in us, whether we want to believe it or not. That we're not good enough, that we're not qualified enough, that we won't be able to learn on the job, that we won't be able to take on the task and do it to the best of our ability. If someone is already on the job, for instance, they're already in the company, they're already learning from the company, they're already being trained and invested into, there's no reason for someone who is doing their work and doing it well, meaning that they're qualified, to not be able to apply for a promotion and make the case as to why they believe they're ready for the next level. Same thing goes for education. Same thing goes for being hired in a job. So when we have these institutions, these organized bodies who are willing to invest in their pupils, willing to invest into their students and their work, their employees, we're creating a society that's saying that even if you don't know it, I will teach you. And that is literally what succession is about: teaching the next generation to do. But if we have people who are consistently shutting people out, what are we leaving for our generations to come? What are we leaving for our children? We're saying that you're not going to be good enough.
1: I'm like, yes, I love everything you just said. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I've absolutely read that about, you know, people willing to go for job interviews and all of it. Oh, thank you for pointing that out, because that is. But think about it. Haven't you? you probably done it, too. You probably don't remember right off
2: the bat. But if you think about the things that you've been presented with in life, you probably have said, you know what? I'm not good enough for it because of the mindset that we've been trained in, not necessarily from one factor or another, but it just may have been something that you observed, something that you witnessed that we say no to ourselves before we even give ourselves the opportunity to apply and try.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the case with women, like psychologically as women and I'm not good enough. Like, I mean, I feel like, and it may be women and minorities and every, like all of us minorities is like, we need to really work on that confidence about what that means to show up. And then again, it goes back, you know, it blows my mind then about why, These parents would just like lop their children off at the knees by showing how little confidence they had in their kids by paying for them to get into school. Like confidence seems to be the biggest thing that will help each one of us, not false arrogance, but just this true understanding that we have the capacity to learn and do just like you said, based on the teachings and absorbing them, having an attitude of learning, humility, ability to just open up to learning from other people around us and continuing to do better.
2: And what I think people forget is that even when I say education for all, education is not constricted to a four walled building, It's not constricted to a school or institution. And I don't know if you're going to ask this, but these parents fail to realize what they've done is teaching their child something, is teaching their child how they think or how they feel they can move about life. And that is not good. It's not something that should be ingrained into a child's psyche, Right. Even like, take for instance, the shootings that happen in these schools and these college campuses, as unfortunate as they are, there has been a mindset that when we show these graphic images and when we talk about it for an extended period of time on the news and cover, the next, God forbid, the next killer, the person who thinks that they're able or capable of doing this, they're seeing what's happened in the past And they're saying that I'm going to make it bigger and better. I'm going to scare the crap out of everybody. And they're looking at those things and they're being taught these things because of what we're showing, what we're teaching them, what we're exposing them to. And we have to take into consideration what we do around our children, what we do in our homes, because that is the first place where children learn from.
1: I love it. Thank you so, so much for joining us on this conversation. (laughs) I love it. I'm so excited that we got to connect. Appreciate your help and insight. My pleasure. We talked about a
2: bunch and I hope your audience enjoy this. I'm so grateful for you all having me on the show and I wish you much, much, much success with your podcast and your show.
1: Thank you. If people want to find you, you. where do they go to find you?
2: For services for Upliftology, I am at Upliftology everywhere, social media, the website, Upliftology.co and also my own name, adabc.co spelled out that's people always ask me why do i have abc.co <laughs> because somebody had abc on another handle but you can find me at abc.co on social media and my website
1: love it thank you so much i'll talk to you again soon. thank you
2: thank you